Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Now it's time to talk. This is Election Night in Late Night with Jarrett Hill. Here is your host, Jarrett Hill. Welcome to Election Night and Late Night. I'm your host, Jared Hill. It is, uh, I keep saying this every time we come in here, like, it's really interesting tonight, but it certainly has gotten uh, more and more interesting with the passing hours. Uh, Tonight is another Super Tuesday night. We have six states that are up in the Democratic uh, primary, and um, tonight could be make or break for these candidates. And so I want to bring in my guests that are here in studio, and uh, we'll have some guests on the phone in just a little bit as well. I have Rance Collins joining me from Bros for America. Welcome. Hi. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for being here. And we have Ryan Basham joining us from uh, the Stonewall Democrats. Well, hello. Hello, hello. So as we just kind of jump into this, I uh, I feel like tonight could be Bernie Sanders' last stand. It's done. It's, done. It, it's, done. It it's over. Be. I mean, Washington State, <laughs> uh, we should go the state, through the states that have already been called. Uh, so far, Joe Biden has won three of the six states, Michigan, Mississippi, and Missouri. Michigan is obviously the biggest uh, hall of delegates tonight. Mm-hmm. With 125 in play, Mississippi 35, excuse me, 36 and 68 coming from Missouri. But as Washington State is sitting out there with 89 delegates, and it is incredibly close uh, there in Washington State. I want to know what do you guys what do you guys think about this night, and how does it look for Bernie Sanders going forward if he loses Washington? I mean, there is no there is no look for Bernie Sanders mm, at this point. The, no the race is over. It's I not. mean, Michigan. He he had to win Michigan to have any type of uh, path going forward, and he needed to he needed to win Washington by more than a small percentage point to have a path going for forward, and he might not even do that. We don't know um, how Washington's going to go right now. So basically, uh, this has been one of the greatest comebacks in political history, and it's also been one of the greatest collapses in political history. Mm. Huge. I mean, let's underscore this: like Washington State, he won by forty three points. Mm-hmm. Last time he is neck and neck. It was with, a caucus. Uh, it was a caucus, it, but it was neck. It and was neck. a different situation. Meanwhile, meanwhile, in college, in counties with big universities in in uh, Michigan, he was up by 13, 14 points across mm-hmm. Michigan last time. This time, he's maybe breaking even in most yeah. of those college towns. I mean, it's not even close. He may not even get any delegates in Mississippi at all because he doesn't need reach fifteen percent. Well, what's interesting to me was looking at uh, watching Steve Kornacki and you know, kind of looking at them breaking down all of the different uh, districts there and 
Bernie Sanders is not even performing at half the level in some of those uh, districts. Uh, and Bern- and Joe Biden is outperforming Hillary Clinton in every single one of those different districts, it seems like, um, as we look at them um, starting to break down. And so it really shows you, like, things have changed a lot for the Bernie Sanders coalition that mm-hmm. was that there was in 2016, which kind of sets me up for the first question that I, I really wanted to get into is, what does that say about Hillary Clinton's race versus Joe Biden's race? And, like, there's always, like, the, the element of misogyny that we have to always you know, lead that with, right? Because there's a lot of misogyny around a, a female candidate. But there's also, um, there's also like Hillary Clinton, you know, being pretty well hated by a lot of people, having a 30-year campaign against her, um, which also rooted in misogyny, right? I would highly, highly recommend everyone watches Hillary on Hulu. It's really good. Because it's... It is amazing, but it also really dissects how, how that hatred that people had of her came from sexism. I definitely think that the poll results for Joe Biden, who is to the right of Hillary as mm-hmm. far as policy and votes goes, um, the way that he is doing with people who otherwise voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016 is probably half that story, half the story of sexism and hatred. And it's also probably half that people are like, I just want to get Trump out of the White House. Mm-hmm. And I think this guy can do it. The number one um, the number one issue for voters going to the polls today in every single exit poll was uniformly get Trump out of office. Yeah. Beating Trump being number one issue. Well, I think I think uh, Bernie's supporters dramatically uh, misunderstood what they accomplished in 2016. You know, they had a, a small, which what, what continues to be a small sliver of the Democratic electorate, which is the super progressive, we want massive change and we're willing to break things to get it, plus a, a portion of the electric, electorate that wanted to break the government anyway. And mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. accomplished what they thought was a close to half. It wasn't. The, aside from the lie that Bernie got close, but the, the establishment took it from him in 2016, that was never even close never to Never the true. case. They, they thought they had a, a big Big, uh, a near majority that they never really had, and when you take away that, we want to break away. We want to break the system piece, and what you're left with is a tiny sliver of people who are super progressive, like Bernie, and then a whole bunch of people who are just tired and want a steady hand. You don't have a majority for Bernie Sanders, even close anymore. I think no. that's a, that's an interesting point, though, because one of the conversations I was seeing on Twitter in the last week was about Bernie Sanders and his. Excuse me. <clears throat> his longstanding, like we're we're trying to you know break this break the democratic establishment and we want a revolution and. I have to say, I don't know how much how much this translates to you know the everyday voter, but I know for me, it's kind of scary to hear a person who's not a Democrat, right? Yep. Coming into the party to run as a Democrat, yep. but talking about how they want to break apart the Democratic establishment. 100%. And let's be clear, he was a jerk to everybody who worked at the DNC from the beginning. It's not like he was all peace, love, and happiness, and the and the people who worked at the party headquarters were like, screw you, dude, we don't know you, we're going to be rude to you. Mm. He came in being rude. He came in being bombastic. He earned the disdain from the quote-unquote establishment that he had. And let's keep in mind here, I let's look at, you know, the last 2 weeks is where his campaign really collapsed. 2 weeks ago, we were talking as if he was the presumptive nom- nominee mm. for the mm-hmm. Democratic Party. Weird. And the thing that happened 2 weeks ago that I think was the first chip for him. I mean, I definitely think Elizabeth Warren taking out Bloomberg had a lot to do with it mm-hmm. because I think that taking out Bloomberg really opened up 
Elaine for Biden. Uh, the most serious challenger to him effectively went away because Elizabeth Warren eviscerated him. And unfortunately, because it happened after early voting starting for Nevada, Warren didn't get a bump out of that. Yeah, But... What also happened for Bernie Sanders, the thing that started to take him down, was that interview he had with Anderson Cooper two weeks ago, where he talked about Fidel Castro, when he couldn't talk about how he was going to pay for his plans. Whenever he was put in this corner by Anderson Cooper, in those clips, nothing else from that interview got taken off, got around the internet. The only thing that people saw was Fidel Castro and I can't pay for my plans. Mm. The next night, he has a debate where he doesn't, where he gets attacked from all sides. Right. Doesn't do super great. And uh, Joe Biden has a really steady night. Then Jim Clyburn endorses Biden and he gets routed in South Carolina. I mean, like everything just kind of happened all at once. And Bernie kept going in with this divisive rhetoric against the Democratic establishment as the Democratic establishment was coming together around a candidate. It was the stupidest idea. It was the stupidest strategy because he was dividing the very people he needed to win over. But, you know, I think people looked at him being bombastic, refusing to apologize, refusing to say he was wrong, and and said, how is this really different from Donald Trump? Mm. There's also that. I hear that. I hear that. Um, I want to bring in uh, Deborah Cleaver, who is the original founder of Vote.org, and Um, Deborah, as we're having this conversation, first of all, welcome to the show. Um, talk to me about your top line thoughts as you're seeing the results coming in uh, from tonight's primary. Um, top line thoughts show, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of outrage from the Sanders committee. I agree with everything that you guys are saying. Uh, here's here's a man who spent 30 years railing against the party and then uh, decided to run as a member of that party. And I think he's finding out that it is hard to uh, get support from a group of people that you've openly disdained for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, we're seeing something that isn't surprising, like Sanders is doing well with um, young voters. He always has, but young voters are not, you know, they may be the majority of like the voting eligible population, but they're not the majority of uh, voters in the primary. And another thing that is just so obvious, even if it's not obvious to the Bernie campaign, people who vote in primaries are very invested in the party itself. So, mm-hmm. you know, while he may have a groundswell of support, and I, I'm not actually sure, and I don't know if we'll ever find out, primaries are an intra-party election, and the people who participate in them, like, really are committed to the primary. So I think it's a I just I probably shouldn't admit this. I try to avoid Twitter because it's filled with yelling people. But uh, there is a a lot of yelling people right now. And I'm wondering how long until they start yelling that this was somehow rigged. um, I'm sure they already are. Well, and their their candidates. Yeah. I apologize. I just gonna say the candidate set them up to do that. I well yep. the the thing that I'm I'm really interested in and and Deborah I feel like you can speak to this uniquely um, there's been a lot of conversation about uh, Joe Biden's lack of a ground game in a lot of these states and I'm curious what that says to you about the electorate about this election in the general um, can can you talk a little bit about that and and the importance of that from the get out the vote perspective I mean I, you know it is going to come down to a ground game and a field game but I, I think I've been on this show three or four times now and every time I say the same thing there are no parallels to the 2020 election like there's nothing I can look at and be yeah. like oh this reminds me of 2004 mm-hmm. so I, I mean everything this year is 
is novel. Um, objectively, you know, I don't think that uh, Biden's been running a strong campaign. I don't think he is. This is very surprising. Well, but like he doesn't have a strong ground game yet. But as people coalesce around a single candidate, I mean, you'll see people from uh, other campaigns joining his campaign. Um, yeah, this is wild. Can I, I just say that? This yeah, is no, wild. I'm 100 percent there with you. And I was thinking about this today as I was getting ready uh, to head into the studio and I was listening to the analysis on on television, as I've been doing for hours now and just trying to see what's going on. And they're talking about <clears throat> one of you have said it as well. Like this is you know, this is rather historic uh, in the ways that this campaign. 